Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the fourth quarter 2023 HII Earnings Conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you need further assistance, please press star zero. And I would now like to hand the call over to Christy Thomas, Vice President of Investor Relations. Mrs. Thomas, you may begin. Thank you, Operator, and good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to the HII Fourth Quarter 2023 Earnings Conference Call. Joining me today on the call are our President and CEO, Chris Kastner, and Executive Vice President and CFO, Tom Steely. As a reminder, statements made today that are not historical facts are forward-looking statements within the meaning of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. These statements relate to future events or our future financial performance and involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors that may cause our actual results to be materially different from future results expressed or implied by these forward-looking statements. Please see our SEC filings for important factors that could cause our actual results to differ materially from expected results. Also in their remarks today, Chris and Tom will refer to certain non-GAAP measures. For reconciliations of these metrics to the comparable GAAP measures, please see the slides that accompany this webcast, which are available on our website's investor relations page at ir.hii.com. With that, I would like to turn the call over to our President and CEO, Chris Kastner. Chris? Thanks, Christy. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on our fourth quarter 2023 earnings call. 2023 was a strong year for HII. We continue to invest both in our shipyards and in IRAD to both expand capacity and develop new products and solutions for our customers. Our growth rate for the year of more than 7% and our free cash flow generation of almost $700 million demonstrate that we're entering a period of accelerated growth and increased free cash flow generation. In addition to record sales growth, with 2023 revenues of $11.5 billion, fourth quarter revenue was especially strong across all three divisions with 13% year-over-year growth and a record $3.2 billion of revenue. In 2023, net earnings were $681 million, 18% higher than the prior year, and strong free cash flow of $692 million was 40% higher than 2022. We also had $12.5 billion of contract awards in 2023, resulting in backlog of $48 billion at year-end. At Ingalls, we delivered DDG-125 Jack H. Lucas, the First Flight 3 ship, and NSC-10 Calhoun. Our DDG-51 team was also awarded the contracts for seven destroyers in the FY23 multi-year procurement competition. In our amphibious ship programs, we were awarded a $1.3 billion detailed design and construction contract for LPD-32 and launched LHA-8 Bougainville, the third big deck amphibious warship in the America class. Ingalls expects to complete sea trials and deliver LPD-29 Richard M. McCool Jr. in the first half of 2024. At Newport News, we re-delivered CBN 73 USS George Washington after completing her refueling and complex overhaul and continued to progress on the test program for CBN 79 John F. Kennedy.
In the Virginia class program last year, we were awarded the long lead time material for two additional Block 5 boats and the first two boats of Block 6. We completed work on SSN 796 New Jersey and expect to deliver in the first half of 2024. And SSN 798 Massachusetts is nearing float off, which we anticipate in the first quarter of 2024. In addition to the 2024 milestones, we've included our 2025 milestone outlook, which reflects our continued focus on execution. Regarding our workforce, I'm pleased with the positive progress in hiring. We've hired over 6,900 craft personnel in 2023 and continue to see progress early this year. For 2024, we have a hiring target of approximately 6,000 craft personnel. The competition for skilled labor in shipbuilding and the larger manufacturing sector continues to impact our shipyards and our supply base. With our Navy partner, we will continue to invest in our team to improve worker retention and proficiency, both within our shipyard and in the supply chain, to ensure we fulfill our contractual commitments and meet our financial objectives. At Mission Technologies, we delivered another outstanding quarter performing ahead of plan across all business units, leading to strong revenue growth in 2023. In addition to the record revenue growth, Mission Technologies booked new and recompete contract awards with nearly $6 billion in total contract value. Also, Mission Technologies ended the year with a robust business pipeline of $75 billion, which makes us optimistic about potential growth opportunities in 2024. Key growth drivers include support for mission readiness in artificial intelligence, cyber and electronic warfare, advanced modeling and simulation, LVC and C5ISR. Turning to activities in Washington, D.C. for a moment, we are pleased with the passage and enactment of the Defense Authorization Bill for fiscal year 2024. The FY24 NDAA strongly supports our shipbuilding programs, including multi-year procurement authority for Virginia-class Block 6 submarines and incremental funding authority for LPD-33. The Defense Authorization Act also includes necessary authorities to support the implementation of the AUKUS agreement. Looking ahead, over the next five years, we expect revenue growth of more than 4% and cash generation of $3.6 billion. Our expectations are grounded on the assumption that we must deliver on our commitments to our customers. Also. While the trajectory may not be linear due to the timing of ship milestones and material timing, we expect that HII will be generating approximately $15 billion annually in revenue by the end of the decade. As always, fundamental to our expectations for the business is executing on our contracts and developing and providing solutions to our all-domain customers. We take this responsibility very seriously and remain focused on executing our program commitments. So with that, I will turn the call over to Tom for some remarks on our financial results and guidance. Tom? Thanks, Chris, and good morning. Today, I'll review our fourth quarter and full year results and also provide our outlook for 2024. For more detail on the segment results, please refer to the earnings release issued this morning and posted to our website. Beginning with our consolidated fourth quarter results on slide four, our Q4 revenues of $3.2 billion increased approximately 13% compared to the same period last year. This growth was driven primarily by higher year-over-year revenue at all three segments, leading to record quarterly revenue for HII. Operating income for the quarter of $312 million increased 
by 207 million or 197% from the fourth quarter of 2022, an operating margin of 9.8% compared to margin of 3.7% in the prior year period, up 609 basis points. The increase in operating margin was primarily due to higher segment operating income. Net earnings in the quarter were $274 million, compared to $123 million in the fourth quarter of last year, up 123%. Diluted earnings per share in the quarter were $6.90, compared to $3.07 in the fourth quarter of the previous year. Moving to our consolidated results for the full year, revenues were a record $11.5 billion for the year a significant increase of 7.3% from 2022. The improvement was driven by strong year-over-year growth at all three segments. Operating income for the year was $781 million, and operating margin was 6.8%. This compares to operating income of $565 million, an operating margin of 5.3% in 2022. The operating income growth was primarily driven by year-over-year improvement in segment operating income at all three segments. Net earnings for the year were $681 million, compared to $579 million in 2022, up 17.6%, and diluted earnings per share were $17.07, compared to $14.44 in 2022, up 18.2%. For segment results on slide 5, Ingalls revenues of $2.8 billion in 2023 increased $182 million, or 7.1% from 2022, driven primarily by higher volumes in surface combatants and amphibious assault ships, partially offset by lower NSC program revenues. Ingalls operating income of $362 million and margin of 13.2% in 2023 both improved from 2022 results driven primarily by a $70.5 million sale of a court judgment to recover unpaid receivables for the prior repair, refurbishment, and modernization of foreign-built frigates, the higher volumes that I just mentioned, and a contract incentive on DDG-129, partially offset by lower risk retirement on LPD-28 and LPD-30 than the prior year. At Newport News, 2023 revenues of $6.1 billion increased by $281 million, or 4.8% from 2022, primarily due to higher volumes in aircraft carrier construction and engineering and submarines, and partially offset by lower revenues in the RCOH program and Naval Nuclear Support Services. Newport News 2023 operating income of $379 million increased $22 million from 2022 and margin of 6.2% was relatively consistent with 2022 performance. The increase was driven by higher volumes I just discussed and a revenue adjustment on CBN 73, partially offset by contract incentives on the Columbia-class submarine program in 2022. Shipbuilding margin for 2023 was 8.3%. Admission Technologies 2023 revenues of $2.7 billion increased $312 million, or 13.1% from 2022, primarily driven by higher volumes in C5 ISR and cyber, electronic warfare, and space contracts. Mission Technologies 2023 operating income of $101 million and segment operating margin of 3.7% both improved to operating income of $63 million and segment operating margin of 2.6% in 2022, 
driven primarily by a $49.5 million settlement of representations and warranties insurance claim relating to the acquisition of Hydroid and the higher volumes I described, partially offset by a contract loss and lower equity income due to the sale of a joint venture. Mission Technologies 2023 results included approximately $109 million of amortization of purchase intangible assets, compared to approximately $120 million in 2022. Mission Technologies EBITDA margin for 2023 was 8.6%. Turning to cash, 2023 free cash flow was $692 million, handily beating the guidance due to strong year-end collections, as well as benefiting from the sale of the frigate court judgment and settlement of the reps and warranty insurance claims I've highlighted. During the year, the company reduced debt by $480 million, invested $278 million in capital expenditures, paid $200 million in dividends, and used $75 million to repurchase shares while ending 2023 with $430 million in cash on hand and a liquidity of approximately $1.9 billion. Net capital expenditures finished the year at 2.4% of revenues, just under 2022's value of 2.5%. Cash contributions to our pension and other post-retirement benefit plans totaled $44 million in 2023. Our pension outlook for 2024 has improved from the update we provided in November, given the better than expected returns to assets, partially offset by a decrease in discount rates since that time. Asset returns for 2023 were 12.3%. Pension expectations for 2025 through 2027 have been updated, and similar to the update we provided for 2024 last quarter, the FAST benefit has increased from our last update, given the more immediate recognition of the positive asset returns experienced in 2023. This is partially offset by the impact of the lower discount rate. We've also provided an initial view of our 2028 expectations. Turning to slide seven of our financial outlook for 2024, given backlog, growth performance in 2023, and the strong demand for our products and services, we are now forecasting mid to long-term HII revenue growth of four plus percent. For shipbuilding, mid to long-term forecast revenue growth has increased from 3% to approximately 4%, although growth in 2024 will be tempered due to the outperformance in 2023. Accordingly, we are forecasting 2024 shipbuilding revenue between 8.8 and 9.1 billion. For 2024, we expect shipbuilding operating margin to be between 7.6 and 7.8% as we continue to target incremental margin improvement. For Mission Technologies, we continue to expect approximately 5% mid to long-term top-line growth, and again, due to the 2023 outperformance driven by approximately 80 million of material timing, we expect tempered growth for FY24, forecasting revenue between 2.7 and 2.75 billion. And we expect Mission Technologies operating margins to be between 3 and 3.5%, and EBITDA margins to be between 8 and 8.5%. In 2024, amortization and purchase intangible assets is expected to total approximately $109 million, of which $99 million is attributable to Mission Technologies. We expect first quarter revenues of approximately $2.2 billion for shipbuilding and $650 million for Mission Technologies, with shipbuilding operating margin near 7% and Mission Technologies operating margin near 2.5%. 
Moving on to capital expenditures, as we've discussed in prior quarters, we continue to see the long-term capital expenditure rate of 1.5 to 2% of general sustainment. In the near term, given the significant demand in submarine construction, we are partnering with our Navy customer to invest in expanding our shipbuilding capacity and throughput. The investment is expected to drive CapEx to approximately 5% on average for the next three years, with 2024 targeted to be approximately 5.3% of sales. I will note that the sustainable free cash flow levels we've previously discussed are not expected to be impacted by this due to customer investment, evidenced by the projected free cash flow growth over the next five years I'll provide shortly. Additionally, on slide seven, we have provided our updated outlook for a number of other discrete items to assist with your modeling. Moving on to slide eight, we have provided an updated view of our free cash flow outlook for 2024 of 600 to 700 million, ending our prior five-year free cash flow projection period with an estimate of 3 billion, up from our prior estimate of 2.9 billion. I'm also pleased to provide a free cash flow outlook for the next five years or for FY24 to 28 of approximately 3.6 billion. I would note that these forecasts do not include Section 174 deferral, which, if it occurs, would be a tailwind to approximately 150 to 200 million in 2024. On slide nine, we've provided our capital allocation prioritization model, unchanged from previous discussions, but updated for current events. We continue to remain committed to an investment-grade credit rating and have reduced our leverage ratio to under two turns at the end of 2023, a year earlier than planned. In addition, we finished paying off our $650 million term loan in January of 2024, which concludes our debt repayment prioritization while securing our investment grade ratings and credit metrics. In 2024, we expect to return approximately $500 million of free cash flow to shareholders through dividends and share repurchases. Lastly on this slide, the Board has approved a revision to our share repurchase program in both term and amount resulting in available share repurchase authorization of $1.5 billion through 2028. To close on my remarks, the company's mainstay programs are well supported and in demand, and MT's growth success continues to expand and diversify our portfolio. Our future is bright and within our control by executing on our current production contracts and capitalizing on the growth demand for HI products and services. We've exceeded our 2023 financial guidance metrics in terms of revenue, profitability, and free cash flow while investing in our programs to facilitate growth and throughput. Additionally, we've strengthened our balance sheet, paying down debt, and lowering our leverage ratio. Lastly, we fine-tuned the HII investment thesis on the last page of the earnings presentation, focusing on the portfolio's strength and visibility, execution and growth, and free cash flow expansion, driving our current and future capital allocation commitments. With that, I'll turn the call back over to Christy for Q&A. Thanks, Tom. As a reminder to everyone on the call, please limit yourself to one initial question and one follow-up so we can get as many people through the queue as possible. Operator, I will turn it over to you to manage the Q&A. Thank you. As a reminder, if anyone would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star followed by two. When preparing to ask your question, please ensure you are unmuted locally. So that's star followed by one to register a question. 
Our first question today is from Miles Walton from Wolf Research. Miles, please go ahead. Your line is open. Great, thanks. Good morning. Um, maybe to start Good with the, the cap, the capex uh, change, obviously pretty material, three hundred million dollar annualized step up in in run rate. Um, a couple questions on it. One, why isn't it uh, dropping through a higher revenue run rate in the near term, like twenty four? And second, um, why, why is it only a you know a couple three year investment? What specifically is it going towards? Thanks. Hey, good morning, Miles. Tom here. I appreciate the question. Yeah, so you know we we mentioned here that uh, traditionally we look at the uh, you know maintaining the yards to be about one and a half to to, to uh, one to one to one and a half percent with about another point to point and a half of specific projects. As we've talked about in the recent past, you know we have a lot of activity that's going on in the yards acquisitions specifically at, at Newport News and driving down into the submarine program there. So putting more boats on contract then on the VCS and the, and the Columbia program. And uh, as we working ourselves through those, uh, th- those, nega- those, those negotiations and schedules, we see it, necess- it, it necessitates additional capacity and throughput. So in conversations with our Navy partner, we've partnered on what that means. There'll be more, uh, a couple more buildings, more capacity in the yard, um, and it's requiring investments. Just over three years, we have defined projects that we've worked through and we've briefed and we've gotten approved through the board and, and with the Navy. And, and uh, the, um, the investment there from the Navy will pay for the majority of, the, of that. So uh, as much as it rolls through that, I'm, capital, I'm capitalizing the, uh, the projects themselves. I'll get uh, investments on the contracts that would help offset that. So um, it's a three-year run. It peaks out the first year at 5.3%. Um, and as I said, we've kind of given you what the free cash flow projection is from 24 to 28 to kind of evidence that um, we're still good to our, our thesis of the cash flow inflection to, to $700 million plus as we go forward. Um, there's a shape to it, obviously, of that $3.6 billion I gave you. And um, obviously, it grows over time as the revenue and the incremental margin expansion comes online, and then as the CapEx falls off on years four and five. But um, um, we think it's, it's a, good, a good business arrangement. It facilitates the growth that, that we're talking about. You, you heard in the, in the, uh, in the, um, the comments both from Chris and myself, we're, we're, we're raising shipbuilding from 3 to 4%. And this capital investment by both the Navy and us facilitates that growth long term. Miles, I'd also add that um, it obviously obviously won't impact 24. These projects take a while to get implemented, but it does support the the mid to long term growth. Okay, and Chris, just to follow up um, on the the longer term projection and the capital allocation prioritization, and you'll probably get on into this at the investor day. But uh, the last several years have been you know a lot of cash going to pay down debt. It doesn't sound like we need to do that. So are we at a point where we can more commit to a significant majority or not all of the free cash flow to return to shareholders over the time frame looking forward? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll start. Um, so we fundamentally believe the greatest source of value uh, that we can achieve as a corporation is to focus on um, our operational priorities right now and, and delivering our ships. So you see that in the capital investments um, and then we're fairly clear on our capital allocation priorities um, relative to investing in our investing in our shipyards, uh, being investment grade, um, uh, progressively improving our dividends, uh, and then providing uh, any remainder back back to shareholders. 
Now, that being said, we're going to have um, optionality around M&A. We uh, have the um, uh, responsibility to evaluate M&A projects from time to time. I don't see any significant holes in the portfolio right now. And um, operationally, I think uh, our greatest focus needs to be on delivering our ships to our customer because they need them. Um, so while we're not going to commit to providing everything back to back to shareholders uh, on this call, we need to. Uh, we're fortunate we have a strong balance sheet and we can do everything. Um, uh, so that's how we're thinking about cap, capital allocation moving forward. Yeah, if I could, if I could piggyback on on top of that, kind of I think you're looking at it the right way. If you if you look back on where we've been, right in in 22, we 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 uh, gave back to the shareholders 249 million in, in dividends and repos. This year it's up to 275 million, which is 40 percent of free cash flow. But we have to keep in mind for 2023 there was 480 million dollars of debt paydown. So we actually between the debt paydown and what we gave back to shareholders, it was better than 100 percent of the free cash flow of 692 for 2023. And now for this year, as we're saying, 500 million dollars of dividends dividends and repos. There's still another $229 million. I just paid $145 in January, and there's $84 million bond payment in May. So $229 of, of debt, and, and that concludes it, kind of going forward, plus the $500 i am committing to, again, is over 100% of free cash flow going back to the, um, the shareholders this year, if you take the midpoint of the guide of $650, right? So uh, it's ramping. Uh, we, we're giving you the commitment through 2024. We haven't told you a commitment to pass that. But we would envision, you know, as we work off each year and the cash is there, um, that we'll, we'll update you accordingly. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question today is from Guatam Kana from TD Cowan. Guatam, please go ahead. Your line is open. Yes. Hey, I joined a little late, so I apologize if you covered this, but um, – could you update us on the timing of when the three milestones that slipped out of Q4 will uh, get caught up? And if there's any downstream impacts from those delays, maybe crowding out labor or anything else. And then if you could just talk about the milestones in 2024, are there any that are uh, kind of late in the year, Q4 weighted, that could pose a similar uh, risk? Thank you. Sure, sure. Thanks, Scott. Um, uh, the two VCS milestones uh, were essentially uh, complete uh, with both of the um, operational commitments for those milestones. There were some late-breaking changes on both of those boats that needed to be implemented before we um, could claim victory and finally achieve them, but uh, we're essentially complete. The staffing has been significantly reduced on, on each of the boats, uh, and, and it's been reallocated to the other boats. Um, and no material uh, financial issue related to those at all. On LPD-29, uh, we ran into an issue uh, going through the test program that we need to stop and do a root cause corrective action uh, on. We've done that. The ship went to sea this week, performed well, um, and we think we'll deliver that uh, here late Q1, early Q2. Uh, now, from a 24 milestone impact, um, we're all aligned uh, uh, within the corporation relative to those milestones. It does put some pressure on the VCS milestones at the end of the year on uh, 798 and 800, uh, but we have detailed plans to achieve those, um, and we're committed to getting those done. Thank you. And if I could follow up, I just wanted to make sure I understood the accounting on, on those three that moved out of Q4. Uh, were there 
were there positive cumin catch-ups related to them in Q4? And uh, and if not, do you anticipate that you know in Q1 and Q2 as you recover? No, no, there were no there were no material financial issues related related to those. Um, obviously, on LPD 29, uh, there is a bit of an opportunity lost there that will uh, recover uh, when it ultimately gets delivered. But it's all included in our guidance. Gotcha. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Our next question is from Seth Seisman from JP Morgan. Seth, please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey, uh, thanks very much. Uh, good morning. Morning. Um, I, I guess. Morning. Um, I, I guess you know in, in other uh, your earnings calls this quarter, um, you know we've we've heard about uh, various supply chain challenges on, on Virginia. I, I guess um, you, you know can you speak to kind of how you feel your estimates. Uh, are, are looking um, uh, on Virginia uh, and, and the amount of risk in, in those estimates, and, and then you know, to the extent that is there is there much in there that's contemplated for inflation reimbursement? Because it seems that you know contractor expectations for inflation reimbursement have been coming down. Um, you, you know, has that been the case for for HII or? Um, were they not there in the first place, or is the sub-industrial base different because it's such a priority? Yeah, so we don't have inflation protection on uh, the DCS program um, at this time. Uh, the supply chain uh, is a challenge um, across all of our programs, actually. Uh, we do have EPA protection uh, for the most part at Ingalls, and we're managing supply chain risk across the portfolio. Um, the Navy's fully aware of this. We're very transparent about it. Uh, that's why the SIB funding is so important. Uh, that's why uh, getting three-year AP is so important, um, so we can just eliminate that risk. Uh, but but we evaluate our EACs every quarter, and if there's risk, we deal with it in that quarter. Um, but it's it's not going away anytime soon. I think everyone understands that. That's why we have um, SIB funding being being appropriated and authorized. Um, and as soon as we can get that uh, down into the supply chain, the better. Okay. Okay. Thanks. And and maybe just a quick sure. follow up on the capital deployment. Um, if I look at the the 3.6 billion over, over the period, you know, think about the the dividends and the 2024 debt pay down. Um, that maybe leaves like you know two and a quarter billion. Um, I know the the repo authorization. I think the slides say there's about a billion and a half left. I mean, would would you think that there's uh, it, before you know that, that it's possible to exceed that billion and a half um, by 2028? Yes, I wouldn't let that be the guiding light. You know, we extended it for term and time, but we can always go back and, and change change that again. So I wouldn't read too much into the math of it. But you know, as we said, there's 1.5 available, 1.5 billion available right now through 2028, and uh, as we move forward, uh, we'll adjust that accordingly. So that was more. That was just more of a housekeeping issue that we cleaned up. Great. Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you. Our next question is from Scott Duchel from Deutsche Bank. Scott, please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey, good morning. Hi. Hey, Chris, just to clarify, do the LPD-29 delivery delays have much extra cost associated with them, or is it more just a function of 
some extra time and in a deferral of the EAC rather than a diminishment of the EAC opportunity. Well, there, there, I mean, time in shipbuilding is cost, right? So uh, we probably lost a little opportunity there. Uh, it's not material in nature, um, and we'll um, we'll do that. We'll take a step up if appropriate uh, when we make final delivery. But um, it obviously would have been worth more if we did it at the end of the year. Okay, got it. And then, Tom, just from sure. a reporting perspective, why are Venezuela insurance recoveries included in operating earnings rather than below the line? A lot of people are a little confused by the reporting this quarter. Thanks. Yeah, the way that the accounting works on that down in Ingles, it's in the operating income and other income because, uh, you know, it's uh, we've, we've had that contract. We incurred cost on it, so it's a recovery for costs that we've we've had booked in the past and we had written off. So it comes back still as an, an, an operating income. It doesn't go into the revenue, so there's not a rev rec to it. Um, but we do uh, we we do account for the margin and the income statement, and obviously we picked up the cash on both of those, on both the uh, the frigate and the, uh, the the reps and warranty in Q4. Okay. And then Tom, last question: Is there any kind of ramp to the or slope to the free cash flow target, the free, the cumulative target over the next five years? Or is it fairly level yes, loaded at 24? Thank you. No, there, there is a ramp to it and a shape to it. I, I knew when we gave that that people would want to see that because we've been we've been giving you the shape of the the current one from 2020 to 24, but really only the back end of it. You know, when we first announced that, we didn't provide it either. And the only reason why we're not trying to be kind of too nebulous, but you know, it's five years, a lot of moving parts, how how it can move around. I can tell you, it's not a reach a reach number. Uh, we wouldn't put it out there if we don't feel that that we can hit it. But um, I'm most comfortable right now. I try and manage by year. And uh, we gave that number to show, uh, you know, with the evidence ramp and, and, and the revenue that we talked about from 4 plus percent to HI across the enterprise, we see that mission technology is definitely accretive and pulling cash for us right now. Um, your modeling should easily be able to get to that, that number. But um, I really want to get through 2024, um, and then uh, we'll, we can give you a guide on what, each, you know, like 2025 kind of looks like and each year thereafter, Okay. Thank you. Nice results. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from David Strauss from Barclays. David, please go ahead. Your line is open. Great. Thanks. Good morning. Good morning, David. Um, Chris or Tom, I wanted to ask about the um, the shipbuilding margin targets. So I think. Um, uh, you know, you had been targeting seven, seven to eight uh, for 23, and you talked about 24 being above that, and then you had milestones slip out that I would assume, you know, with those potential EAC adjustments, that would help. So I guess what what changed in terms of the, you know, the progression on the on the shipbuilding margin side as it relates to 24 versus what you talked about or were thinking about before. Yeah, so we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, right? Yeah, we did talk about 7780. There's a couple of milestones that we missed at the end of the year, which caused a little, a little bit of a drag, as you saw how we finished off. Uh, still, shipbuilding healthy with with, uh, with the recovery of the, the, the sale of the claim. 8.3% still kind of beat the guidance with the claim. On a recurring run rate, I'm with you that it's a little bit short on that right now. And we'll pick it up kind of going forward, right? So I'm not just going to have a step function up, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up where we have on our run rates. 
as we finish our milestones and we get credit for that, there'll be some step ups along the way. I think seven six to seven eight is appropriate. It's uh, I'm comfortable to conservative on that right now. And uh, you know, I've guided the last couple of years, and we've missed a couple of tenths right at the end of the quarter. So I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves a little bit. Let's kind of earn each of these quarters. I think seven six to seven eight is the, the appropriate way to kind of look at it. If we uh, that we, we we get the hiring and the retention, and we have clean shifts through the whole year, and we make our our milestones, we could be on the upper end of that range, not higher. But um, I think for now, finishing the year off at you know eight three with the claim, um, the bottom end of the the guide right now without the claim, I think that's the the right starting point with you know a year's worth of shipbuilding to go for 2024. Okay. Um, and then one to ask about uh, working capital. Um, you know, I, I think for the year, at the end of the year, you came in kind of below your uh, your target. It looks like you're around five percent of sales. So, how does working capital look going forward? I assume some of the, you know, the capex recovery uh, will will flow through working capital at least uh, at least over the near term. Thanks. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. We've had a lot of conversation on that that working. A capital, and I know when we were much higher in that at 10 and 8 percent range, it was concerned like how could we get that down? And we were projecting that that would happen. I'm happy to report that it's kind of landed right where we thought it would be, right? So I think we we started the year off in, the, in around six six to six and a half percent. We finished the year off at five percent. The conversations we've had in the recent past, we've talked about it used to be six to eight percent without mission technologies. With the additional sales for mission technologies, it's more like four to six percent. And I'd, I had highlighted that we were coming down, you know. You know with COVID in the rearview mirror, production programs that we have, maintaining, trying to maintain the schedules with the same type work, we would see a normalization of the working capital. And that's exactly what's played out. We've lost about a point of working capital throughout this year. And I still anticipate kind of going forward a, a little bit improvement of that as we go forward. So um, four, four to six is the right way to kind of look at it. We exit 23 at 5%. And I would expect in 2024 to be on the, you know, you know a little bit lower than that, between four to 5%. The uh, capital incentives will help as we get the, the the cash up front, you know, before the cost is, is completely incurred. And I think that's the appropriate way to kind of model it going forward in the 4 four to 5% range, range in the next couple of years. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Our next question today is from Pete Skipinski from Alembic Global. Pete, please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, guys. Nice quarter. Um, morning. Thank you. Tom, I think you just helped us out a little bit, but but can you can you quantify, and sorry if I missed it, can you, can you quantify the two one-off gains in the fourth quarter at, at Ingalls and Mission Technologies? Yes, um, a, mission techno- a Mission Technologies, it was the... Uh, the uh, warranties and representations for the purchase of Hydroid. That was a a settlement we had for $49.5 million. And then uh, Ingalls, uh, we picked up uh, from a a frigate repair effort that we had in the late 90s and uh, had cost against that. And we've been working to see how we could get a recovery on that. And we did get a judgment, a settlement judgment in 2018. And then we were able to broker and and sell that entity uh, for $70.5 million. And you'll see in the K2, there's a little bit of a back end on that too. We'll have to see how that plays out. But um, that's about all I want to say about those two. It nets about $120 million gross, but obviously I pay tax on that. So so net tax is the impact to uh, to, to the profitability and cash was, was $95 million. 
Yeah, I appreciate it. And then um, maybe a more top-level question. What gave you guys the confidence to raise kind of the, the midterm outlook, despite the fact that we don't have a, a 24 budget appropriated yet? And then on the 24 supplemental that's out there, I think there's a lot of uh, shipbuilding industrial-based money in there. Maybe you could talk about that. And, and is there anything else in the supplemental that could benefit you guys? Yeah, so so I'll start with that. Uh, the 24 budget is very positive for us. Um, all our major programs are supported. LPD 33 is supported, which is really important uh, to Ingalls. Um, the submarine industrial base funding in the baseline budget is important. I think that's around $400 million. But the additional $3 billion in the supplemental just uh, furthers effort to uh, improve the supply base. And there's also uh, funds within that to improve the labor force. Um, so getting both of those approved is really important. Now, uh, our confidence relative to the guide is just on the demand for our products. We see uh, the demand for not only the products in shipbuilding, both in Newport News and in Ingalls, but also in Mission Technologies. And when we laid it out and we looked at the investments we're making and the opportunity, it just makes sense. We're in a, in a bit of an inflection point from a sales standpoint. And I actually think there's probably some tailwinds. Um, if we can get that summary industrial-based funding approved, executed, and start uh, improving throughput. Tom, you have anything to add? Sure, yeah. You know, we've talked about um, the demand for the products and services we have. You know, we, when you go around the horn down there, you know, Ingalls just won seven destroyers with a pretty good clip on the schedule side of that uh, with, uh, with options in the future for that. We see the 30-year shipbuilding plan, the five-year FIDAP. We've talked about the 17 boats that are going to happen. Already two long lead for the last two in Block 5 and then VCS Block 6. Those advanced procurements happen. They have to get, get definitized. We're talking about the Columbia Bill 2, uh, the RCOH for 75, um, and then just uh, the preponderance of work that we have, change work, and then the growth at Mission Technologies. We update our annual plan uh, you know, every year, obviously. It's a 10-year it's a look. And when we really kind of look, we say mid to long, that's like five to seven, five to 10 years. I know the street, that's too far, really. But at least five years, we see growth rates at least that, if not higher. Now, things have to break our way with, with timely awards. We have to get the labor and the materials have to hit. But we can just see how um, the programs are playing out, costs, uh, inflation, orders, backlog, and things of that nature. And we think it's appropriate to, uh, you know, raise to these these levels. And there's uh, still, you know, there's still opportunities above and below this um, for 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 additional growth. Great, thanks, guys. Sure. Thank you. Our next question is from Ron Epstein from Bank of America. Ron, please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey. Uh, good morning. Um, yeah, lots to ask, but maybe just a, a, a follow-on on the uh, 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 two questions, one on the supply chain and one on labor. On the labor front, uh, how's retaining labor been? Because, you know, something we've heard across the industry, not not specific to you guys, but you know, generally across the industry, it's been tough to retain labor that, you know, companies are bringing in, uh, you know, young mechanics or whatever. Um, they stick around for a year or two and then they take off. I mean, how, how are, how are you guys faring on that front, and, and what are you doing to keep them? Yeah, hey, Ron, thanks for that question. Uh, it's definitely been a challenge over the last couple of years, uh, citing the exact example that uh, that you brought up. Uh, and the team has a number of initiatives they've implemented over the last year 
uh, to address the situation. And they, 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 they center around three fundamental issues, really, which is um, flexibility uh, for the team that we're hiring uh, in work schedules, potential time off, um, the, craft, uh, the craft person, uh, man and woman, uh, that we are now hiring is not fully prepared to come right into the workforce and start that kind of daily grind without under without having some flexibility in their work schedules. So we're, we have a number of pilots that we're working um, in that regard. Uh, we have some really interesting analytics around targeting geographies that uh, we're, we have better success in hiring and retaining. Um, so we have initiatives there. Um, and then we have very focused incentives on critical skills. Um, an example is machinists, um, where you have to just pay them more uh, to get them and keep them. Um, so a number of initiatives, we pivot very quickly uh, because we have such good data on, on what, what works or what, what is going to work and what, um, what does work so we can uh, expand upon it. But uh, you're hitting on a fundamental issue in the industry right now, in the manufacturing industry as a whole, and um, within defense and in shipbuilding is that the labor issue is, you know, obviously one of our major risk issues and one we're working very hard to resolve. I would also say the Navy understands it, and in the SIB funding, as I previously mentioned, there are workforce development issues as well. Getting people into the apprentice schools because our retention rates in the apprentice schools and established programs are significantly higher because the people that go in there are choosing that as a profession. Um, so it's something we're well, well aware of. Uh, our, part, our partners are well aware of it, and the Navy's well aware of it, and we're addressing it. Uh, we've seen some some uh, rays of light uh, as we ended the year, but you can't really trust a couple data points. Uh, so we're going to keep keep working on it this year. Got it, got it. And then and then on the supply chain with the investment that uh, the Navy's making, where does that have to be made? I mean, where where are the the weaknesses in the supply chain today as you see it? Yeah, so they've done a really good job, uh, both on the VCS program and, and on the DDG program. It doesn't get enough uh, as much press, but on the DDG program as well, as identifying uh, single source or sole source vendors in the supply chain that need need investment uh, to increase capacity. Uh, because as you know, um, capacity had dwindled a bit um, in the uh, in the previous uh, 10 to 15 years. So they've done a very good job targeting those those suppliers and making investments. Um, and then there's some large, uh, large critical, critical uh, material uh, where there's single source uh, uh, suppliers that are dealing with the same sort of labor and, and uh, supply chain issues that we are. So to identify those, potentially uh, dual source them or qualify an additional source is something that, that the Navy and, and we are looking at as well. Um, so it's a very comprehensive review. I think it's managed very well uh, by uh, by us and our partners, and I think it's going to get at the issue, but it doesn't turn overnight. Got it, got it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ron. Thank you. Our next question is from Noah Popanak from Goldman Sachs. Noah, please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Noah. Tom, can you give us the pieces that bridge your actual full year 23 free cash versus uh, what you had last guided it to? 
So we started the afford at four fifty. We got it up to five hundred. You can, uh, you know, at six ninety two at a completion. If you take out the two claims, you know, uh, net tax obviously that's ninety five million comes off the six ninety two gets you to five ninety seven, and then the difference between you know the increased guide in Q three of five hundred to five ninety seven with some strong strong collections in Q4. The team really stayed on it. We made sure that uh, we got our, our bills in on time and we, we had a clean a clean Q4 uh, receivable. So okay. it was just across across the enterprise. There wasn't anything of significance to really note in there. Okay. So if I take that final and take out the claims, I'll, I guess call that closer to 600, can you bridge me yep. from that to staying there in 24 while CapEx is going up as much as it is? If you're, you know, because you've got yeah. revenue guidance that's up, you know, kind of 2 or 3% in a flat segment operating margin. Yeah, so I had mentioned in my in my comments up front that there's, you know, uh, active and insignificant Navy participation in that. So I don't want to get too much into the details, but we're both contributing to it. Um, but that's uh, helping offset that increase there. So, um, you know, the, the guide uh, from okay. six to seven hundred, we took that down a, a little bit from where I left you last quarter. As we ex as we exceeded this year, a little bit of timing too was in there on the collections. So, um, a little overachievement in 2023, a little back off from where I left you last time at seven hundred. Now it's a six to seven hundred. But I would not be alarmed because of the uh, higher capex in, in 24, 25, or 26. That it's going to be a major draw on the free cash flow uh, from the discussions we've had in the past. That's been a little bit of, of guiding light. We definitely want to support our customer, perform an existing contracts. Uh, much of the work we're talking about for the new CapEx is on the new requirements that, that are coming. And as we broker that relationship and how we make that happen, um, we're going to ensure that we kind of keep everything in lockstep. Um, we got to get these ships out of here cleaner and sooner, high quality value. And on our side, we still have to be able to, um, you know, kind of run the business here and have good working capital. So all that's in the mix, and um, I would not be concerned on the 5.3% against the cash flow projections that we've given you. Again, that's why we gave you, you know, okay. you probably won't won't see that too often a five-year projection going forward. But we wanted to settle everyone out there that um, all all that's been factored in as we run the business and and um, and, and we manage our cash. So how how will we actually? I would, I, I would tell you if I could, if I could have uh, a, a, a one more. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'm just wondering, like, if if there's a Navy participation, it, will we see? Will, will not all of that actually be recorded in capex, or will it flow to your capex and come back in your rates in your operating margin, or how will we actually see that in your financials? So, you know, when we do our CapEx, obviously our costs, we get incentivized to go do that. So it comes on the contract in the form of capital incentives, additional margin and cash that flows through there. And that helps offset my additional costs. Okay. Have. I would comment just earlier to your question as you try to kind of normalize the 692 out to like 597, as I said, when you pull up the two claims, you know, it's a, it's the ramp that we've been talking about. If you go back to to 21 at 449 and 22 at 494, and now even about the claims, now it's ramped to 597, and now we're at 6 to 700. We've talked about a 700 number in 2024, just a little bit. It's range-bound now because we exceeded in 2023, and now the 3.6 billion, you know, the average of that is 720, and that's got a shape to it, obviously. It's going to be smaller up front. 
as the revenue incremental margin grows in the out users, it's going to be larger in the back. I think that's appropriate right now. It's not a stretch number. It's reason. It's conservative to reasonable number. We have risks to, to kind of go work off, and I think that has you know both risks and opportunities associated with it. So I'd leave you with that. The um, so the piece that goes through capex that's supported by the Navy that will we'll just see that in future margins as it flows through your rates. Is that right? Yes, margin and cash. Yes. Okay, and then I guess I just so for 24 with the margin guidance flattish year over year, it, I still struggle to see where that 300 million is coming from. So this, so on the margin side first, is a timing of when that happens, right? So you, you got to get that on contract, and you got to go do the work, and there's a, a percentage of completion you take. So the, there's a lag on the margin side, and on the cash side, we try and make sure that we try and stay neutral so that we're not impacted as I'm incurring costs that high of 5.3% of capex, but that gets offset on the on the payment the payment schedule of the capex, right? So the margin's not running exactly with the cash. But on our side, we're trying to keep it neutral here, so it's not going to impact our projections that we've given. Yeah, it's part of the total ship P&L, Noah. Okay. Okay. All right. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Sure. Sure, Noah. Thanks for the question. Thank you. Our next question is from George Shapiro from Shapiro Research. George, please go ahead. Your line's open. Uh, yes, I uh, wanted to ask... Uh, your actual ship revenues were like almost 300 million higher than what you, the high end of the guide that you provided on the November uh, call. So just wondering why, given that to me this is a fairly predictable uh, business, and I have a different question too. Thanks. Yeah, sure, sure. So from an, the MT side, we saw a nice rush at the end of the year of some some receivables. I mentioned in my notes it's about 80 million dollars. So, so that was a a big, a big pickup. On the shipbuilding side, uh, just the timing of material on, on uh, how that, that flowed in here, the majority of the overage and where we thought we would land uh, was on, on the material side. We have some outsourcing going on as well, so those costs flow through. You know, opportunistic that they landed in 2023 here, but we got an 8.6 to 8.8. We came about $100 million over that. And, you know, you kind of normalize that. It was good growth there. You saw it in shipbuilding, better than 5%, 5.5% in shipbuilding. Um, you know, Ingles up in the sevens and uh, Newport News at 4.8%. But it was a sharing between all three divisions that just exceeded. It was a nice run at the end of the year there on the revenue side. Uh, George, you, uh, you're familiar with uh, material timing. You know, you can miss by a month to, to two months from time to time. It just came in at the end of the year. Um, now, unfortunately, it impacts the guy for the next year, right? So you had to, uh, we had to include that, but um, it was just timing. Okay. And then the other one, uh, probably for Tom, if you had a $49 million benefit in mission systems from Hydroid, I mean, it implies the rest of the business made $2 million. Now, you alluded to some charges at uh, some of the other businesses there, but if you could just uh, uh, provide some more information on that. 
Yeah, that's right. A piece of that's timing on how the programs just play out in the, in the mix in execution on that. We did have one job over there that we just took a you know a slight step back. It wasn't material. You won't find it in the K there because it's not at the threshold. There's a couple million dollars on that, but you know um, not a lot of dollars when you break down that kind of business to begin with. And then when you you take a small charge, and then then the timing of performance and on how we book things, um, it came out to be a light quarter there. But you know overall um, overall with the uh, claim 8.6% EBITDA, the ROS at 3.7. You can normalize that out and be a little bit on the bottom end of uh, the guide that we gave you, you know, 8 to 8.5 at the beginning of the year for EBITDA. But as we had mentioned throughout the year, there was the uh, the, the joint venture that we that, that that we sold off. We picked up cash, but we lost some equity, and we've been we've been kind of mentioning about a charge on uh, a manufacturing effort that we have over there. So I, I think that's behind us right now, kind of going forward. And I'm still very satisfied with the numbers uh, that MT kind of put up across the board for revenue, margin, and cash. Ed, Tom, if you could just provide the EACs for each of the sectors in the in the quarter. Sure. So for the quarter, it was $111 million of favor, favorability, $43 million of unfavorability, a net of $68 million. Was made up of about 50%. That net was 50% in Ingalls, about 35% in Newport News, about 15% in MT. And just for everyone on the call, you'll see it in the in the K, which does the whole year. It was 309 million dollars gross gross favorability for the whole year, 191 million dollars gross unfavorable, with a net of 118 million dollars. And that breaks out to be about 75% Ingalls and 15% MT and 10% Newport News. Appreciate the question. Okay. Thanks very much. Yes, sir, George. Thank you. We will now be taking our last question from Scott Micus from Melius Research. Scott, please go ahead. Your line is open. Good morning. Um, morning, Chris, Scott. I wanted to ask, is, in, is any of the customer-funded investments over the next three years, is any of that contingent on the supplemental package making its way through Congress? That's a good question, uh, and I don't have that in front of me. That, that's a really good question. I don't, I don't have that in front of me. I know um, a part of it. Is, I think a part of it is, but I can't couldn't quantify it for you. So we'll um, we'll get that information for you, Scott. Okay, got it. And then thinking about the shipbuilding revenue growth rate, you've for a long time talked about labor being the governor on output there. So how much can these investments improve throughput in the shipyards if retention rates don't improve materially? Well, it has to be both, right? Um, and we, when we do our, our projections, uh, we risk adjust them. Um, it's not assuming that everything works out perfectly. So it has to be both. We have to improve um, our retention rates. Uh, we have to improve um, uh, the supply chain, and we have to – uh, improved capacity, and if we do that, uh, then throughput will significantly increase. Uh, but you're absolutely correct; we have to we have to be successful in both. Scott, I'd supplement that too. You know that as we're we're building that out on you know how we how we hire, how we train, how we retain, we're not standing flat-footed. But I know that the the, uh, the yards themselves have active plans on either outsourcing or contract labor, using uh, additional overtime with the crew that we do have, working uh, the, the three full shifts where where there's a, uh, a critical path. 
Um, but um, there's dials that we have to try and offset that in the near term. You can't run that, you know, five or ten years. If you, you see that we see the demand, we're building out, you know, organically that we'll be able to do things in the yards. But 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 right now there are dials and opportunity sets for additional labor outside the yard that we're employing right now. Okay, got it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thank you. This is all the time we have for the Q&A session today, so I would now like to hand back over to Mr. Chris Kastner for any closing remarks. Yeah, thank you, and, and thank you for joining the call today. I'm very proud of our team's strong performance last year, and I'm confident that we will continue to create value for our shareholders this year. I would also like to remind you that we are hosting an investor day on March 20th and look forward to seeing many of you then. Have a good afternoon.